Hi, welcome to the latest edition of Risk Engineers Talk Governance. My name's Megan and I work behind the scenes as producer of the podcast. In this episode, due diligence engineers Gay Francis and Richard Robertson talk about risk managers and their role in organisations, in particular their role in project governance. The podcast is available across all podcast platforms, including Apple, Spotify, and Google. And if you like the episode, we'd love you to give us a rating just to help us spread the word. Please enjoy this episode. And if you have any feedback, please drop us a line. Good morning, Richard. Good morning, Gay. Good morning, Megan. All here from Monday morning. Today, we thought we'd talk about risk managers and the role of the risk manager in organisations and projects. And part of this has led on from um, a, 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 our book launch of Project Governance, which we're actually doing later in the week, um, and the role the risk manager plays in, in projects in particular. Um, there's a lot of infrastructure, going, infrastructure projects going on in Australia at the moment and a, and a lot of jobs being advertised for, uh, asking for risk managers and risk advisors. Um, for us, that sort of seems a bit of a strange request in a risk management because we've always understood that the function of risk belongs in a line management function and belongs with the project director in the case of projects or the board and, and the executive management team. So it's a line management function, a business as usual. That's correct. So unless the risk manager, so-called, is in line management, um, then they, they can't. can't be the risk manager. The best they can ever be is a risk advisor. On whose advice line management can rely when they're talking in their, their area of expertise, but to actually say that risk management is a separate function, we think is fundamentally a failure of corporate governance. So that seems to be happening an awful lot around Australia. That's right. Um, so, as you said, they can facilitate the process, they can provide advice, but what they can't be responsible is for the risk or the risk, the risk um, register for the organisation or the project. They can maintain it, but they're not the decision makers. And all our, legislati all our legislation that's been happening lately has just been focusing on that point. Uh, I mean, the corporation's law um, basically says that no, directors have to demonstrate diligence that they can, the business can pay its bills when they fall due. Um, the environmental legislation has always been like that. And obviously the WHS legislation, um, we've been informed by various lawyers that the whole point of the WHS legislation was a governance document. And the intention was that if businesses couldn't comply with that legislation, they should be put out of business. Now, the idea that you appoint a risk manager to facilitate that compliance, that's the, all the, the function. seems reasonable. Seems reasonable. But the actual decision-making and the responsibility, which is the whole point of the legislation, is board, CEO, and depending on the function, Exec the project manager yeah. or general manager or whatever you're doing. Yeah. I think one of the interesting things in the, the project space, as we said, was that there's been a lot of risk managers being advised for big infrastructure projects. And there have been a request for um, to look at risks and opportunities. Yes. Um, so there's still some confusion around what project due diligence or project governance about. Most of the benefits for projects have actually been stated up front and you're doing a downside risk assessment to make sure that they don't manifest Correct. or I mean, impact those critical success outcomes. Before any of these big projects get up, and that's admittedly what the large Commonwealth Government review seems to be about now, 
there's meant to be a, a, a proper upside-downside to work out what all the value that this project will provide, like a new freeway or a new high-speed rail. You do all these assessments and studies to sort of confirm what the commercial benefits and the societal benefits will be, but that's all done up front. When you actually decide to implement it and you're going to spend the money, you're now basically having an argument about why you won't achieve the things that have been agreed to be achieved. So there's usually very little opportunities that can be wrung out of a project once it's sort of been specified what it is. And I think in the in the delivery team in particular, unless you understand what those um, critical success outcomes are for the project overall, then it's really hard to do your delivery one. You might get some minor benefits um, opportunities in relation to, you know, you have really good weather, for example, so you, you save some of your contingency on wet weather. Um, but they're, they're relatively small compared to... Um, potential showstoppers that have the, the chance or threats that have the, the chance to impact on... Um and that, that sort of leads on to the point. I mean, our experience has been, um, and we were talking about that in other webinars and things like that, but our experience has been that, that the successful projects, and we've never had one which hasn't gone successfully, adopting our, you know... Governance, governance approach. approach. Yeah. Um, but the ones we've watched... Uh, if there's been a risk manager in the place, they've tended to be ditched if they're um, acting with people like us around. Uh, I can remember that large road project, which we perhaps possibly won't talk about in great detail, but that imported at great expense. This risk manager, it's about $2.5 billion project. They imported a risk manager at great expense from the UK. And uh, when we were running the high-level risk workshop, was all the senior decision-makers from the three uh, large organisations... Uh, it was just being done in the morning. We were doing criticality downside risk assessment of the promised upside risk position. And he kept talking about upside downside risk. It took a couple of hours, but they've just chucked him out of the room and said, just forget it. He was still trying to do the opportunities and... And, and that's risks. been the case with all the big projects that we've done. Remember the, uh, the large project in Queensland? They had two competing projects, that tunnel. And we ran our vulnerability workshop coming top down and we were told afterwards that's the reason why they won it because the government's agencies were so impressed that all the things that they didn't want to have happened, they knew what the benefits were already. That's why they'd asked the tenderers to, to, to do the job. That. Yeah. But we convinced them that they had the best grasp on of what would make downside. sure that none of the bad things, the downside stuff would occur. And I think sometimes up front getting all the stakeholders to agree on what all of those um, upside benefits are is half the battle well, and being able to articulate that. Well, you remember that, that all the studies we've done the owners or their final asset owner and what their critical success outcomes are is quite often different to the contractors who wants to deliver on time, on budget and do spec yeah. um, and so forth and all those sorts of things. Um, Whereas the project performance one's about functionality, what, you know, we're going to get improved travel times, improved con conductivity and we're going to get all of these other benefits to be able to move for infrastructure projects. Well, that's the other point. But if you've got this risk manager, they're doing upside, downside on the contractor side, against whom is their upside being tested played against. and tested? It's obviously against the owner or the client because that's the only place where they can extract further funds. From their point of view, if they deliver on time and budget to spec, the only upside they can get is more money or, from their or client. Or quicker, yeah. Yep, or, or they finish it earlier. Yes. And there's some, there's, there's but some that's, a, that's a positive there. benefit for everybody. That's right. Um, whereas you watch some of these contracts and then you see you know, some inspected thing and there's a large couple of projects around Melbourne involving tunnels uh, where some contamination was found and the delays and costs and the ultimate cost in that case to the government, and that means to the taxpayer, 
was stupendous. Yeah, yeah. Actually, and that should have been identified way up front. Yes, and that was a known. I, I, I can't believe that wasn't a known mm. issue that would have but been But if identified. you take the risk aspect of it and say, uh, rather than just saying is a crit from a criticality viewpoint, you know, is this credible and critical? The answer is yes. Well, we'll manage it from a governance viewpoint. If you take a risk, look at it. Yes, it has potential for high consequence, but what's the likelihood? And well, you, might, you might remember that government, uh, the Cabinet and Confidence project that we stopped and we're still allowed to talk about yes. after we ran a workshop. So we probably won't talk about it <laughs> in this podcast, Richard. <laughs> Possibly not. Um, so from our viewpoint, the, the role of... We don't think organisations really need a risk manager. It should be part of business as usual. Correct. Line management's the risk manager. You should have risk advisors and they can be internal or external. It doesn't really matter. And they need to understand a number of processes that can be undertaken because it's not a one-size-fits-all Tick box exercise, black, white. And just do not keep using the risk management standard. We cannot believe how many people are getting into trouble just using that, particularly from project point of view. Um, so by having these good people around you that can advise you on projects, um, they can help you manage the process, they can help you manage the risk register or the precautions register, but they don't own it. And what we've found is sometimes when the risk manager owns the risk register or the precaution register as we like to call it, um, there's almost a... Um, the responsible people walk away from it and they make it so complicated that it's really, really tricky to understand and difficult to understand and so they overcomplicate the risk register. So the senior decision makers do not get it? No. And so your risk register for a project should be in the tens, not in the hundreds. If you've got a risk register as an organisation, as a project that has hundreds of items on it, you miss the point. Correct, because it's not the big ones will kill the project. Um, and we just find that what happens with you've got one of these sort of professional risk managers in there, you get such ginormous risk registers that the important things get lost in the dross and senior management doesn't find out until it's too late. And, as we said, they're the ones responsible for making the decisions. So um, part of it, some of these topics build on each other and then I guess that's a, then a reporting um, discussion and mechanism of how the critical, credible critical things, the high-level things, get escalated to the right level. Um, and we don't see that done particularly successful at organisational project level either. As we said, mainly have really, really big risk registers, hundreds of items instead of tens of items. So how do you make sure the important things get up to the people that do need to make the decision? Because as we said, the risk management does not make the decision on what needs to be done to manage those risks. Oh, what seems to happen is that risk management turned into its own industry and it doesn't always necessarily act in the best interest of the business or the projects. And from our point of view, um, the effort and the costs that are going into these processes, particularly when you create this own empire, I suppose, um, is just simply not commensurate with the value the organisation's getting. Uh, and it's something we just have not understood. And it's never made sense to us, I can fairly say, mm. in the last 30 or so years. Yeah. Um, and every time we've come across it, um, I suppose the risk management function tends to suffer... Um, some slings and arrows, but that's perhaps what happens. So I hope you found our, our discussion interesting today. Uh, this is sort of one of the topics that um, annoys me a little bit that, 
yeah, this is not as valuable as it could be because if you've got a really good risk advisor in your organisation or on your project, uh, it, it just makes a huge difference. You don't necessarily ha have to spend, you know, it's not a necessarily a 30-hour-a-week or a 40-hour-a-week job um, to, to maintain it, but it's at the right time you get the right advice from people who know. What they're doing. Yeah. So thank you for joining us again and we hope to see you next at the next podcast. Have a great day. Thank you.